I think this it, we were just we were at such a low point. I just knew it was only going to get better. And we had a month before the the league picked back up. So I just spent a month building from the foundation of like everything, technically how we want to play, then tactically how we're going to progress with the ball. It, I just made everything as clear as possible so that the results on the pitch couldn't be about tactics. It could only eventually be about the the human element. And then in the last few weeks, as we've strung together results, the human element has just has just connected. Welcome to Footy Fellas. Welcome, welcome to Footy Fellas. Welcome to Footy Fellas, coming at you from Chicago and Minnesota. We're going to be talking soccer. We're going to be talking life. We're going to be playing games. We're going to be playing mind games. We got a little something for you. If you haven't yet, throw us a follow on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok at Footy Fellas Pod, F O O T Y Fellas Pod, and subscribe to the good old YouTube channel, Footy Fellas Pod. We got a special discussion today with friend of Footy Fellas, Tim Spencer head coach of the Leganes U23D team in Spain, our first two-time guest on the pod, and we talked a little bit about his transition to becoming a head coach recently, how he integrates new international players into the squad, the youth transfer market at large, and also how to navigate social media with his players. So we really ran the gambit of conversation topics with this, this young new head coach, Tim Spencer. He's an enjoyable guy. I think he um, he gives us a good lens into the um, the the youth development world, but but also I think it's really valuable. Is he's just a genuine, um, good-hearted dude, American. Can we can relate to him and, and get some of his background? Um, but but everything that comes come out comes out of his mouth regarding the game and how he approaches it, uh, I think we can all appreciate. Is very much centered on. Um, on taking care of his kids and making sure that they're, you know, their, their well-being is put first before. You're um, talking about his players or his actual children? His, his, his children, all, all, all 25 <laughs> of them. What, what, it's one big family. The interview got kind of wild. Fam- it is. The it interview is. got a little crazy. <laughs> it was, uh, he, you know, he gets around to different clubs and he's found a club and this is it where he's got a lot of children. <laughs> yeah, he's def- he definitely has a lot of passion. Uh, that that's what that's what comes out a lot. Most for me, he he loves coaching. You can tell right away when you hear him talk. He loves his players, as Jones was saying. Cares about them a lot. Wants them to succeed. And he does go into some interesting tactics that he uses uh, when coaching to prevent youth players from getting in their own head and building up confidence. It's it's a very, very good interview. It's a really mental game. It's definitely a mental game. I think the biggest piece coming out of that that made me think and made me think about how we would handle this is the social media side. And I want to know how you two think you would be as as coaches on social media. Do you think you'd be super active? Would you be really reserved? Would you be hitting up your players, messing with them in their DMs? What do you think would be your <laughs> social media coach presence? I think I, it would take me a little while to get into it. Um, uh, speaking from past experience, uh, you know, coached uh, the high school team for 
a solid, you know, one season. And by the end of it, I still didn't, I, I wasn't fully ingrained with the school, I suppose. And maybe that's a component of it. When you're living with these guys, you're seeing them every day. That, that kind of changes your relationship. But I, I feel like I'd be very hesitant to just jump in there and start interacting with them outside of the, uh, outside of the physical, like on the field kind of context. When you start talking with them, I don't know, in the same way that like a teacher would be talking with you on social media, that, that just feels a little odd. Yeah. There's need, there, you kind of need that boundary of a, um, you know, seniority um, and, and that you're able to come down on them and, and punish them. It's hard to have that relationship if you're sharing everything with each other. Yeah. So. Yeah. I like that you mentioned boundaries. I, I would not use social media to communicate a lot with, with players. I would, I think I would be active on social media in the sense that if players wanted to communicate via that means, I would react to any conversation that they wanted to start. Uh, I think it, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing to, you know, just, just keep, keep a, a finger on the pulse for what they might be sharing or doing. But I think, I think it is approaching a gray line with social media as a, as a coach and your players. Um, it, it, you know, as Jones said, it's that teacher kind of like teacher and the students. It's, I don't know. It's kind of weird. The, the one difference from high school, at least, is that these kids are, I think you said, between 18 and 23 for the most part, since it's a U23 squad. So, yes, it's still your kids, your your team, you know, that you're coaching every day. So, of course, the boundaries are still in place, but maybe it's more of a more active social media presence without it feeling as weird just at a baseline level. No, I mean, I completely agree. And I will say I don't have anything against – I don't think there's anything wrong with a coach um, sharing or being friends with, um, you know, players on social media whatsoever. Um, and if anything, um, it allows them to if, connect even more, which perhaps in the soccer competitive world, that that's actually a nice um, relationship to have. It's, um, it, it, I think it's just, it's just a matter of, unfortunately, when you are a coach, if you do have that kind of relationship, um, you have to really be cognizant of what you're doing and it's whether you want to put that burden on yourself. Um, when usually you have to put that same facade to an extent on, um, in the quote unquote office or on the field. Um, so, you know, nothing wrong with it. Just, it's another layer of responsibility on your plate. Not only would I be liking all of my players posts as a coach in this, this scenario where it's, you know, U 23 team, but I would be getting in other coaches' DMs talking shit before big games. Damn straight. What, what would you say? What, are, what kind of things would you say in there? I'd say, "Hey, nice formation you played last game." It wouldn't be. <laughs> it wouldn't be mean. It wouldn't be cruel. It would just be very subtle, but yeah. not subtle jabs at their right. coaching ability. Right. Right. You know, you could you could definitely throw them off with uh, like, "Hey, yeah, go easy on us." You know, this week, like, yeah, our left yeah. backs a little sick, uh, and then. Uh, you know, a couple of emojis right. sick with like the sick, you right. know, runny nose and then right. flexed arm fire, throwing them off. <laughs> yeah. Know which, which sick, right. you know, just playing mind games with them. Yeah. That's funny. Actually thinking of, I was thinking of other, other little chirps that you could throw into the DMS. Uh, nice high waters there, bud. Uh, I'm thinking of, um, is hockey chirps. Bielsa. Uh, like, <laughs> Dude, watch out for your like 
be careful with those knees. Stop, stop. <laughs> like when you're coaching, so you get personal. So. You get really. You'd watch film on the coaches, and you would <laughs> yeah. just get personal with their sideline repertoire, with their sideline activities. I think it'd be you funny know, to to pick snippets. Head. Yeah, to pick snippets of uh, any photography that would happen during games, and anything of them just screenshot it, send it to them. Like, yo, looking good. <laughs> <laughs> you, you <laughs> So it's turning stock. That's yeah, just the creepy route. Yeah, you're just straight up sending whoa, whoa, whoa. pictures. All the, all the photography would be on like websites and stuff about the game. It's just a regular old game from the week before, but you know, the photographer got the coach looking a little bizarre, send it to him. Yo, dude, like I hope you're doing all right. <laughs> you could almost plan out a schedule where a week before the game, hey, good luck, and you send them a picture of them on the sidelines, maybe midweek. Like really looking forward to playing you, and it's a picture from them in their playing days when they were younger <laughs> on the academy day before. Like, hey, looks like your preparation's going well. It's a picture of them at their kitchen table, exactly. eating dinner, exactly, nice. preparing for the game, exactly. And you're in the background of the picture, right? Because so a couple things are then now popping up. In yeah, their mind, and they're like, right? oh, like oh, my, oh my god, wait, like okay, so he's taking photos. That's that's uncomfortable, but but he's also there. So so who took the photo? But how did he get in the house? <laughs> And then, and then, what? It, what have you just done? You've just eaten up a solid thirty seconds of time that they could have been preparing for the game. Yeah. Right. And uh, and that's that's point one to Team Eli right there. But in all seriousness about the social media stuff, I think college coaches. I was talking to my old assistant coach, and they have to figure out how to use social media these days to recruit for real, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's one way you're allowed to reach out to recruits, and that's the platforms that kids feel so comfortable on these days. So you're literally DMing recruits. No way. Which is just a different world for a lot of coaches. I couldn't imagine getting a DM from So you gotta be you gotta be official <laughs> in your DMs for real. It's probably a DM that says, here's my email. <laughs> Reach back out to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's or like, hey, looking fire in that latest game, bro. Yeah, no cap. No cap. Hey, good stuff there, lad. <laughs> no we don't pay athletes. Come come here. We can't pay you. Come through. Yeah, roll through. Um, you, I, just, you just send them TikTok vids every week. Like yeah, vid, right. Not unrelated to soccer, right. just vids you think are funny. Right. Right. <laughs> Build that relationship early. Just a lot of tweets. and This coach just gets me. I don't know what it is. I don't even like the school, but the coach just seems super cool, mom. He just knows I love Ariana Grande memes. <laughs> the good news is the interview itself has fun moments like this. We laugh. We joke. We cried. We cried a lot, actually. You you scream cried a lot. Yeah. Touching stuff. Because it was a meaningful conversation. There's a lot of good pieces. And we'll get to that in a sec. But for a minute or two, any big Champions League highlights, given that that's back, Europa League is back. I know Barca got smashed, which kind of rhymes. It feels like Mbappe and Haaland are the next great things. And that's, that's it. Messi and Messi and Ronaldo have moved on. People have forgotten. Care to respond? I think uh, I see you get a kick out of watching Eli pronouncing Holland. There's a lot of tongue and teeth action. His <laughs> hands were set up in such a way that he was like conjuring spirits. Spirits. <laughs> the to, spirit of Holland's scissor kick. To, to, to be that's a YouTube video in itself. Eli saying Holland. Yeah. <laughs> Just thirty seconds in slow mo. <laughs> um. Yeah. I'm trying to think. I, it's it's uh, very much um, very much Mbappe and Holland's world that we're living in. I feel like that's the that's kind of it. That's the that's 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 the headline. Right? Yeah, I mean, my one interjection as a sad Liverpool fan, 
They won. Yay. They beat RB Leipzig 2-0. So. Which is not, which is no small feat. Leipzig are a quality side. A quality side. We've been getting smacked by them in career mode, <laughs> which <laughs> is a true validation of how good they are. But, but they also, I mean, they, you know, uh, did they get smacked by United 5-0? Yeah. So is it not impressive that Liverpool <laughs> didn't also beat them by that much? Maybe. But United did also lose to, to Leipzig. So, you know, uh, kudos to Liverpool. Thanks for your pity. <laughs> Anytime. Yeah. And some other good. Champions League matchups coming up next Tuesday or this Tuesday, if you're listening on Sunday or Monday. Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Lazio versus Bayern, Atalanta, Real Madrid, Mönchengladbach versus Man City. So we're, we're down to it. His right. eyes rolled back in the back when of his I said head. As he, yeah, I did it again. It's terrifying. Yeah, because I nailed it. <laughs> so you got to really get in the character to hit some of these soccer teams' names and player names. Agreed. Burnley. Sheffield (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot of exciting Champions League football and a very exciting interview that we're about to hit you with right here so have a listen excited to introduce Tim Spencer a former teammate of myself at New York Soccer Club back in our primes a second time guest on the pod and now an even more established soccer coach Since we last spoke, Tim has been coaching his own team at Leganes, a professional club in Spain, as well as assisting the U23 team. We're excited to discuss further your ever-evolving philosophy on coaching and have you contribute to our larger topic as a pod this month, youth development. Tim, welcome back to the pod. Hey, great to be back. Always happy to to speak football with you guys and, um, you know, youth development. Very, very important when talking about football as a whole, especially when you look at the top part of the pyramid and how important youth players are. So always happy to speak about that as well. The pyramid. Yeah, well, we might have to get back into the pyramid because that's a cool visual. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your your new role, which you texted me about, and I was pretty excited, and I've seen some of the pictures online, and you're doing some cool, some cool stuff out there, huh? Yes, yes. Indeed. Uh, the role I started at Leganes in September as the assistant coach for the U23C team, which is basically at Leganes, you have the first team that plays in Segunda division, and then you have the reserves, the B team, and then you have us, the C and the D team, which are in the international area of the club. So we take a ton of Spanish players, homegrown players, mixed with players from South America, from Asia, from other parts of Europe, and a bunch from America. Um, and we, we're working with them, and they've signed for the club, and, and we're working on getting them to a place where they can progress to the B and then to the A, hopefully. And so I started in September as the assistant for the C, and then after a month or so, I was given the position of leading the, the D team. And so since then, it's been, it's been a lot of fun just getting to work with a diverse group of players. What's it, what's it like uh, going through this transition, Tim? What, what are the biggest differences you've noticed for yourself personally um, managing the, the D team? I think that what I've learned more than anything uh, since taking over the D team role is redefining my definition of adaptability um, and going from understanding that a session can go well or poorly based off a given set of variables, but 
when you're in charge of a group like that, that is so large in size and there's constant variables between 26 players, 24 players, 21 players, uh, players coming in on trial every few weeks. Today I had an extra seven players at my session to take my total number to 32. Uh, and, you know, we have a league game on Sunday, but in my mind I'm thinking, okay, well, we had a friendly yesterday and we have, you know, a session today with all these new kids. I need to adapt my expectations to understand that tactics work can come later in the week. And it's okay if today we work on more basic principles or fundamental principles of, of how we like to play aside from the actual tactics, uh, because, you know, everyone wants the perfect session. Everyone designs the perfect session in their head and always wants it to go a certain way. But being able to adapt your expectations on the fly and understand that even if you plan something great, there's always going to be things that, that break down. But I think learning that the response to that is, is the important thing for making sure the session goes the way you want and goes the way that the players need it to. I saw Ted Lasso so recently with Max. And so I can only think of when the new international player joins and is bringing all this energy and everyone's kind of freaking out <laughs> and the practice gets wild. What's it actually like acclimating new players into the, into the pool, into the team, and especially international players who, like you said, if they're coming from all over, is it hard to keep that family atmosphere, the identity you talked a lot about last time we chatted on the pod, or have you found ways to try and keep the group connected as you're working these homegrown players up the pyramid? I mean, it's a brilliant question, really. Um, you know, I struggled mightily in my first month and a half, two months of the role. Everything prior to Christmas was um, a challenge, an uphill battle that I understood would, you know, the solutions would be there, they would be found, but I was very also understanding that it was going to take some time. And so in regards to building that culture, that family atmosphere, you know, I don't believe that I succeeded in that prior to, to Christmas. I felt coming into the role already having established all of these relationships with the C team, it was hard for me to emotionally and mentally commit myself to these new groups of players when I was still working so hard with the, the first guys that I had really gotten close with. And once I was able to f just commit all of my energy and my time, you know, more so to the, to the D players before Christmas, we were able to string together some performances without the results we needed, but some performances that, showed that we were working towards something and, and over Christmas I I just went to work you know having individual conversations with players I prompted in our group chat uh, like 10 to 12 questions for all the players to answer and, and write to me over Christmas as just like personal feedback and reflection uh, and when we got back to work post Christmas it was just uh, the energy was different uh, I, I think I I think I came in with a lot more love and a lot less expectation of, I need you to hit this by this point so we can achieve this. And, and more so was just understanding of, we're going to go at your pace because you know what? I'm happy either way. And I think it's so hard for people to establish a really like that family feeling because the desire for quick results is always there. Uh, I think this, it, we were just, we were at such a low point. I just knew it was only going to get better. And we had a month before the, the league picked back up. So I just spent a month building from the foundation of like everything, technically how we want to play, then tactically how we're going to progress with the ball. It, I just made everything as clear as possible so that 
the results on the pitch couldn't be about tactics. It could only eventually be about the, the human element. And then in the last few weeks, as we've strung together results, the human element has just has just connected. Um, and it's a great question because I never really think about it. I just try to live it uh, and see what happens on a day to day and just go trial and error and be like, oh, OK, today this player wants me to treat him like this. OK, let me see if this pisses him off and motivates him. OK, I'm going to give him love tomorrow and see how he responds that way. It's just tinkering, you know. It's cool to hear you move towards that uh you know, shift in kind of adaptability in yourself and how you're interacting with the players in the relationship. When you said the the human element, it brought me back to your podcast that that was firing, I know, a while ago, the human podcast. And it seems like you've just gotten closer to who you are, what you believe in, what you care about in the role of a soccer coach. Like it's tough, you know, you had brought yourself and you're trying to figure out the ropes and figure out Spain and coaching and all that stuff. And does it feel like you're moving more towards bringing your, you know, your true self to the job and these relationships with, you know, you 23 kids that you're probably dicing up in practice every day. <laughs> okay. Well, first off, that's, that's some quality bants on your end. I try to make sure that I try to, <laughs> I try to make sure that I get on the ball in the session. And whenever I do get past the ball, it's always fall with an immediate trick pass or little, cute skill that I mean says nothing about how I play the game but to a given player can just go whoa you you can do that okay I'll listen to what you have to say um (laughs) but I mean can you repeat the question because that made me laugh yeah sorry I was just picturing you in practice also in the kicks like the full I know you look stylish (laughs) when you're you're at practice oh just in the in the fresh kicks the new sneakers too it's a good image yeah, just thinking about your coaching philosophy, it feel you talked about the human yes, yes, element, and you took some time off. The team took some time off to yeah. regroup. Does it feel like you've moved more towards yeah. bringing yourself to yeah, the yeah, job? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, um, I, I needed to recharge over Christmas. I think burnout in in football, burnout in sport is is real for players, for coaches. I mean, we're we're human beings, and when things aren't going well, sometimes you do need to just take a break and regain that gratitude and appreciation. And I think. In these last few weeks, I don't know. I just I, I moved, you know, uh, into a new place with one of my friends here in Madrid, and you know, I really like it, and I feel comfortable, and I've just been taking pride in, in writing out my sessions, and through being able to plan my sessions better and not have to worry about is the spacing correct, is the number of players this, just planning for all those variables. Now I can really go in, and the session runs itself. My assistants they can help with all of that type of stuff, and I get to really just pick apart one by one like the the human aspect and just have conversations with people and so you know prior to our last league game we had an awful week of training where everyone was just upset you know like players who had developed positive habits and habits of self-love and self-confidence and you know driving with the ball there was regression and players were upset and getting frustrated if things weren't going their way they were getting upset if they make a bad pass and I just in my head was like, okay, I mean, I had all these tactical things to work on, but you know what? It's not important. Like I need to just make sure that we're in the right frame of mind. We can come in with the right energy and being able to really focus on that because we had so much good planning beforehand. I definitely feel like I've been more so of my true self as a coach these last few weeks, the adaptation period for me in regards to speaking the language and just getting my bearings and getting calm with all the the new responsibility. It took a while, but I definitely think as I got more comfortable with the team, 
got more comfortable as well. And I think we, we share an identity now, you know, my, my identity and the team's identity are, are definitely linked. And for us, it's all about that next play mentality. Just have a short memory, just forget, just move on, just go, just go, just play with rhythm. Uh, and man, it's been fun to see. It's very clop of you. <laughs> Tim, uh, uh, the way that you are um, allowing us the insight into a lot of these players, uh, humanity and, and who they are as, as um, people before players um, is really is really moving and um, is, is a helpful reminder for us um, that you know, soccer isn't just the goals and the assists. It's, it's the, the people um, wearing those jerseys too, um, uh, which is beginning this question for us how do players live off the field um, and specifically on the D team, maybe even as it progresses through each team, uh, what percentage are, you know, you, you, as you mentioned, some are international, what percentage are perhaps living um, in dorms or some type of, um, you know, team centered um, academy system uh, versus some who are uh, um, commuting from, from home, if, if any. A large portion of the C and the D team uh, reside in the dormitories that Leganes ha- have at their disposal, and uh, a ton of the guys live together. Uh, the rest are the kids that are from Madrid, from Spain, and they live with their families. Uh, but yeah, a lot of them live together at the residence, uh, and they just, you know, they come, training is their life, and in their free time, they're just hanging out, doing an extra gym session, doing some yoga, doing some, you know, mindfulness work, or just hanging out, really. Uh, and that it's I mean in that sense it's very much like a brotherhood and a family and like you do have your um you do have your social groups of like the Americans or like the Americans from specific regions like the New Yorkers versus the Americans from the rest of the country or you have your groups of like the Spanish kids or like a few French kids we just had a new group of kids come in today from Amsterdam one of them was just fantastic the rest of them were they they were good as well good energy so you have you, you have people come in and We'll stay in a hotel maybe for a week or two and then figure out what they're doing and then join the residents. Uh, but that, yeah, that's the most common thing. And, and lastly on this, the turnover that your, your team sees, the amount of people coming in, coming out. Um, have you noticed that that has any effect on um, the, I don't know, the, the, the camaraderie at all? Uh, do you, do you see any more, any more negative versus positive impacts from the, from those I mean, changes? Those, those changes are like whatever you want to make them you know like for every time that new players come in and they're not up to the standard and one of my players that starts for me in the league will throw a little fit upset about the lack of quality upset about just something you know for all of that for all of those times there's also always going to be a moment where a new player comes in that's good and makes that person excited and feel competitive and be like whoa okay and so i think with all of these variables like it's 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 we we decide the energy we want. We decide the experience we want to have as as the coaches and mo- more so as the players. And I I've, I've tried to make that very clear to them. Now, practically speaking, uh, it can be stressful. Definitely, definitely can be stressful. Not just for the players and and getting a rhythm, but for the coaches. But I think what I've tried to do to 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 work my way through that these last few weeks is realizing that more important than being able to run like an 11 v 11 tactical situation because I always have like 27 players and it's not great to have five kids just waiting on the side I don't think that's necessarily the way to do it uh, especially if we have five sessions throughout the week so what it's transitioned to now is is something a bit different where now when I play in the session I always have all of the starting guys for the league 
working the same group or two or three of the guys who can maybe come in and play as well mixing in so that that camaraderie for the people that actually play in the league because only 13 or 14 players have the license to do so i i've ensured that that can continue to grow separate from the new guys coming in who just want to make an impact and see if they're good enough and see if they can stay hey tim gotcha tim could you uh just quickly remind us the age of the players that you're coaching yeah, yeah, these all these guys are the age of like seventeen or eighteen to twenty-one. So I guess they're a little older uh, than um, what I was originally imagining. But the I want to talk about the most important factor in your mind of a youth soccer player's development, and I'm thinking right now about these players who are coming internationally, away from home, away from friends, you know, where they grew up, things they're used to. Do you think they they have a mental fortitude, a strong mental, you know, strong mental capability versus uh, maybe others who stay in their hometown, live at home. Um, just the more more independence, more does that does any of that translate onto the field? Personally, I think so. Will there always be outliers? Will there always be examples of kids that stayed at home and found success? Absolutely. That being said, I do think that there is something. Uh, emotionally, psychologically, you know, but also neurologically, I think something changes when you you leave your home, you leave your comfortability, and I think a lot of ingenuity is born out of necessity. And I think for a lot of these players, it is for so many people, not just players, but people in general. A lot of people need a sink or swim moment to realize what they're fighting for, to find the sense of purpose and identity that all of us need to push forward in the things that are important. And so I think for a lot of these guys that come over and stay the course, it's not even as much about saying that I'm going to be a pro in a year. It's about saying I'm going to fight for something that I want. If I have the opportunity to do so, I'm going to work at it every day and see if I can get there. And so does that result in great attitudes and great performances in training every day? Absolutely not. Are there bad days? Of course. Are there days where effort and commitment and focus come into question? That's just the nature of the game. But I think the experience that they're all going through, it definitely inspires me and um, I think creates an atmosphere for me and for them where the stakes feel high every day in a way that, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be. Again, it's an energy that we decide to create that they bring with the energy and the experiences that they're bringing to the table. Yeah, no, that's a fantastic answer to my <laughs> admittedly haphazard question. Going back a little bit, in your view, what's the most important factor of young soccer players' development? I mean, I really hate to disappoint you here, but I'm just going to have to go with the answer that, you know, makes sense to me. And that's that there is no answer. It depends on each player. Like, you know, I have a Spanish player, Ado, right back, who's just tremendous every single day with his attitude, his application, his technique his tactical awareness I mean he just continues to get better every day since day one and he's a homegrown player who's super comfortable and feels totally at home and because of that is able to just you know find that flow state every day because he just he loves it there and he knows that we support him and trust him but also he knows that he is arguably the best player and has potential so he needs to he needs to work every day and be an example we expect that from him you know so in that sense I think 
for what makes him go is different to make that what makes one of the Americans kids American kids go. And so the most important factor in, in youth development from the coaching standpoint is understanding that each kid will have different, you know, social backgrounds, different parental situations and will need different things. From the player standpoint, you could argue that mental fortitude is crucial, but more specifically <clears throat> the belief that what you're fighting for is not only what you want, but is something that you can achieve. I do believe that to be paramount, arguably the most important thing, but hard to measure, hard to say one is more important than the other. Um, you can have players with tremendous, tremendous application, mental fortitude, but just they struggle with certain technical aspects of the game or just players who are just truly brilliant on the ball. And if you put them in an 8v8 free game in training, will be the best player. But when the game starts and they have to make reads in transition or they have to make reads in a midfield rotation in making space for other people, they might struggle, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, we, uh, we, we hate to give you these yes or no black and white kind of questions. And we appreciate that you're able to tell us, Hey, that's, that's not the, uh, that's not the way we just get a lot of these fans submitting questions and they want it that way and we <laughs> millions of fans millions, questions actually. millions and we, we need, uh, we need to set you're them just, straight you're now. just doing uh, your best with what you're working with <laughs> we're appeasing we're appeasing the masses tim you understand um uh another type of uh a gen- general question that's come our way and, and um we we completely respect that you are not an expert in the transfer market or world but perhaps you have a unique perspective um in, in recent years, it's felt like the largest interest in uh, transfer pickups has been focused on youth as opposed to more pricey established veterans. Um, with this um, newfound influx, well, quote unquote, newfound uh, influx in youth interest, have you noticed any changes to academies around the world or even to Leganes? Um, has there always been this type of interest in youth or um, is it that's only now been revealed? Um, uh, what, what are you feeling? What are you seeing uh, on your side? I think that everyone who's ever watched football has known that there will always be at least one young, bright player, either in a team or in and around a team, whether that's on the bench. Um, young players are crucial, absolutely crucial for a multitude of reasons. But if we speak about culture, first and foremost, then we're looking at professional clubs bringing players up through the academy. It's about bringing up players with club DNA. So, for example, you take the documentary, take the ball, pass the ball for Guardiola's Barcelona. You know, six to eight of those star players have been with Barcelona since they were 12 years old. So they've, for a decade prior to coming into the first team, or for some of them, not a decade, because you have players like Messi, who rightfully so is in the first team at 16. He had been at Barca for three or four years, so the integration into the style of play, I mean, it's seamless. So if clubs can develop young talent where Marcus Rashford, for example, comes into the United side, he knows what the club's about. He knows the type of people that they want to be in the first team. And he understands the stylistic aspect of the game and how to play. It's a seamless transition. Like I said, there's very little adaptability there in terms of a foreign player coming over and having to adjust to a new culture uh, and, and it's free, like you, it doesn't cost anything really. So, and you have homegrown quotas as well. So, it's advantageous in in every sense to develop youth players. And I think what you're seeing 
recently because of social media and because of the way in which we consume football nowadays. But you saw when we were growing up is like, think about Cesc Fabregas. I mean, he was dominating as a 16-year-old. He destroyed Juventus in the Champions League at 16. You know, it's not that there was only certain periods of time where there are great youngsters. It's just that the no, the our ability to notice them has gone up because scouting analysis and scouting networks have gone up because people saw Moneyball, for example, and were like, whoa, I can compete with the big teams if I just find great young players at a discounted price and integrate them into my style from a young age. I mean, people people are always trying to get an edge. I think people look at youth as an edge. But also, if you look at the youth player in particular, I mean, that's a hungry lad. That's a player who has everything to prove and is just happy to be in the squad and is appreciative and is and is ready to fight uh, and has energy. And if they're in the squad at 18, 19, 20, it's because they also have just something different about them. Like, I watch Bakayu Saka play and I just, my jaw drops constantly. Like, I'm in awe of, of everything he does because at the age of 18, 19, he gets the ball and just goes straight at the opposition constantly forces people into making decisions like constantly find solutions like a 27 year old experienced player who's made millions again it depends on the individual but the impetus to do so might be different so you're telling me you're a Saka over Pepe <laughs> fan there's no debate there <laughs> see Max is over here watching every single game of Man U's U15, U16, U17, <laughs> U18, U19, U20 all the way up to through U23 squads you're right. It's the social media. It's not just for us fans of the game, but it's for the players who are 15, 16, 17, getting big on social media and following other youngsters to know what's possible. And, you know, it changes the game for everyone. Are you, have you been following other youth academies aside from Arsenal? You can answer Laganis, obviously, but have you been following other youth academies around the world or in your area? Is that something that you're, you're interested in? At the current moment? No. Um, I really just try to give every energy to the to the next training session I have. And so my focus is, is very much solely on, on my team and the Arsenal games that I'm able to watch. For example, I couldn't watch last night because we had two games and then a film session. So I really like, with the time I, away, with the time I have away from my team, I just try to disconnect from football uh, to recharge. But prior to this role, I mean... My entire childhood was playing football manager for hours on my com- computer and scouting all of the top wonder kids and seeing them come to you know fruition in real life and going, I knew about that guy in 2011 when I bought him for $2 million with Southampton. So <laughs> it's a crucial... It's it's just crucial. I mean, I'm an I'm an Arsenal boy, man. Like our teams, the teams that I watch are just built on youth expression and freedom and creativity. So... Um, I'm constantly looking and seeing people, but I'm pretty just focused on the youth that I'm trying to nurture right in front of me, you know? I think a lot of folks might be able to relate to that football manager experience. And it also makes me think that you're on the sidelines. I don't know if you saw the Queen's Gambit at all or a chess fan at all, but they often close their eyes and look up to the ceiling or close their eyes and imagine stuff playing out. And I'm picturing you on the sidelines, closing your eyes and seeing your players and football manager. You just kind of, move them around and, you know, organize your team, play style, who we bringing in, everything's just clicking in your head. Uh, no, not really. Not really. I mean, um, <laughs> it's, not it's, that easy. It's, it's just like football isn't clear like that. That's why the game's so fun because it makes you think that there are like X's and O's and that there are like ones and zeros, like clear cut 
things to manage. Like I just, I just read the flow of the game, you know, like, uh, the, I will say that on a few occasions with like an instant with prior teams I've managed, I've had moments like two weeks ago, Saturday night, getting ready to, to go to bed. I just walked back to my friend's house and on my walk back, I just, something clicked in me as I was walking, no music looking around Madrid. I just was like, wait, I know exactly how we're going to score tomorrow. Like I I'm watching it happen in my head right now. And then I went home and I wrote it on a, a sticky note and was like, this is how we're going to score. Like, this player's going to give it to that player off this run. He's going to whip it and he's going to finish it. Like, I, it's just so clear. And then it happened. And I was like, so that's awesome. Like, those moments, those moments yeah. are great. But for all of those moments, you know, I might expect something of a player and then it doesn't happen. So if that comes to me, great. But other than that, I don't try to think ahead too much. Uh and I don't like to plan too much. I want things to be fluid and open and dynamic. Granted, you can't see the future, which I respect. Do you think that this new wave of American talent is for real? That has been sprouting up all over Europe. Players getting transferred. Names getting tossed around. People like us getting excited. Yeah, why not? I mean, some of these players, Pulisic, for example. I, I, I use him as an example because I, I truly think he's has world-class talent. I mean, they're just fun to watch. Like they are, they're doing great things. Weston McKenney, for example. Like at a certain point, it doesn't matter where you're from. Like it, it just doesn't. It matters what you do, what your actions are. And going back to youth development and integration and and support systems, if so, more Americans go abroad at an earlier stage, the integration and adaptability aspect of transitioning into first team football to European club will be much easier. And I think clubs are realizing that if they bring people in earlier, it can help that transition. So it's great to see. I think it's going to continue. What do you think, Jones? America's making the net, winning the next World Cup. Sorry, I was going to say making, and then I realize I'm underselling ourselves. Well, we technically still need to. Let's not let's not rule that out. <laughs> um, clearly, took that for granted. Um, um, the thing that that people have been throwing around a lot is it's a golden generation, which is um, which is exciting, but um, has a limiting sound to it. Um, it sounds condensed, and I and I want to believe that this is not a um, uh, just a, a um, concentrated moment of time, but rather uh, a new trend that the U.S. is forming, um, habit forming. So, you know, hopefully, you know, the more that we have um, these these players starting to pop up, we'll have even more and more coaches like like Tim following the Jesse Marshes of the world and maybe being linked with Gladbach, maybe being linked with Dortmund, maybe 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 Tim hooks us up with some sideline seats at the Bayern game. We'll we'll find out. We'll find out in due time. So you want me to land in Germany, evidently? <laughs> you know, the, the American coaches seem we would to have go to a lot Spain. of... Well, would, be careful what you say here, Max. We wouldn't wait, go no, no, to no, Spain. Max, I'm not Max. saying we yeah, wouldn't Max, go to Spain. Spain? What's, come on, what's wrong with Spain? I'm, I'm saying there's a. it seems that there's a higher propensity for American coaches to do well in Germany. That was my only <laughs> point. That was my only point. And, and, and you know what? You know what, Tim? Let's, let's make it a challenge. Let's say Tim is going to be the first American coach in Spain in the in the first division. Let's make that happen. Let's get on team team Tim in Spain. Let's do it. I'm all aboard. Well, I mean, if if you Great. guys can provide assistance in any way, that's always uh, always appreciated. <laughs> I think all I can do to to work towards that goal is what I'm doing. Just uh, work with this team, do the best that I can, and those good things will come through the process. Same here. We'll keep growing. We have an interview with Messi on the books next week, so maybe we can slip in a word or two. 
And we'll see what happens. It's true. You never know. It's true. You're not wrong. <laughs> Far from it. Do you you mentioned social media earlier? Do you follow all of your players on social media? Do you ever like throw lob comments <laughs> into their their posts? <laughs> um, I'm not one for throwing comments per se. A like goes a long way, I think, in, in just showing you know support and that we are friends off the field. Um, my players are, are no flex well, arm. I, you know, like the flex arm or so, the like, let's go fire. Well, I mean, like so for example, today I got home, you know, made some food, hung out, did some did some work for tomorrow's session and then opened Instagram and saw I'd been tagged in a photo um, from the striker from the C team. Uh, and there was a picture, two pictures of me and him from training. And I, since that was a picture of me and him, I, I commented, um, I commented always moving forward, uh, which is a saying that, you know, we like to use. And so that that was nice. And whenever I've posted my, my pictures, my players are all the first ones to comment very nice and, and loving things. And so I'm very, uh, I'm very appreciative of that. And, um, you know, uh, after we won two weeks ago, a bunch of players went out and, uh, you know, went on Instagram and put on their social media, uh, Instagram videos, like their story. I saw a video of them like uh, at a place where there was like a shisha pipe and they were drinking like Coca-Cola, it, it seemed like, but it wasn't really clear and there was dancing going on. So, I mean, we had won with a great performance. They had training off to the next day. It was just a recovery session and we only had a friendly the coming week, not a league game. And so, you know, I saw that and smiled and was like, this is perfect. Like regardless of what they may or may not be doing in this moment, they're connecting they're creating more positive energy. They're reinforcing the good work that they did. But I immediately sent that to my assistant and was like, dude, you gotta, you, you just gotta look at this story. Like, it's hilarious. Like, I can't believe they got this guy out. Like, look at him <laughs> dancing. Like, we are gonna, I'm gonna make so much fun of them tomorrow. And, uh, you know, the next day they came in, I called three or four of them up and in, like into the middle of the pitch while everyone else was getting ready on the side and was just like, so like, how was, uh, how's your night last night, guys? They me start laughing. I'm like, no, no, no. So please, who's, who is the best dancer? We, we need to know. And so those things are nice. And then afterwards it was made very clear to them because they, they had said like, we weren't drinking, we weren't smoking. It was just, we were having soda and we were just chilling. I'm like, listen, I just like, if that's like not my business, like you're just really like not responsible for putting that on your story. Like I shouldn't have the ability to see that. So there are certain lines that we do want to keep separate because certain behavior while not appropriate with any sort of frequency on an, on occasion is very important just for, you know, the emotional side of things and the, the connection. So social media does have its traps in that way. And after we won on Sunday, one of the players put up a story just to close friends. And I was one of them. And it was them all cheersing. It was me, them all cheersing. Like uh, it looked like root beer floats or like some like dessert type thing. And the caption was at Tim Spencer, not alcohol. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like this is that's that's what we want like those types of relationships and communication like that's what we do it for you know um and so I think that's very funny but they're great on social media man and I I constantly post some pictures with them and um it's a good way to connect for sure that's awesome yeah you made it you made it first into the close friend circle and then second into the social media online jab mm -hmm. circle you know, they're putting up the story just to just to send a message your way. It's beautiful. <laughs> Love to hear it. No, no, no. Definitely. Definitely. That's awesome. Well, we'll let you enjoy the rest of your dinner, Tim, because I'm sure you have training sessions and other things to, to think about and hopefully also just detach a little bit and enjoy your pizza. Mm -hmm. 
but we appreciate you chatting with us again and throwing some thoughts in for youth development, Laganis, all the awesome stuff you're doing. We will obviously let you know if we make any massive connections to Spanish clubs, German clubs, English, Dutch, Dutch, Mexican. We've thrown out a lot of feelers. Uh, so we're not your official representation, but we'll obviously let you know if anything comes up. And we appreciate you chatting with us. <laughs> Guys, I uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on to talk about football and these these important concepts. Uh, and please keep on keep on doing what you're doing. It's great work. And I think not just for the coaches and for the players, but for all for all Americans who, who love football, the more engaged we are with the sport, the better, the better our, our future can become. Well said. It's, it's bizarre. Like the skills that you think are useful now, just to get thrown out the window if you're talking about planetary creating a new civilization on another planet.